Welcome to Camping Out, a podcast about interesting people, stories, adventures, and their impact in the world, usually through the lens of outdoor adventure. I'm Dan Camp, and tonight we are sitting by the fire with an outdoorsy power couple who have immersed themselves in the whitewater rafting culture, Garrett and Shelby Phelps. After beginning their guiding career in Northeast Wisconsin at Wildman Adventure Resort, Garrett and Shelby have grown together and professionally with the river as their guide. By learning from the lessons of their past, Garrett and Shelby have found themselves seeking leadership positions in one of the greatest whitewater resorts in the United States, the Nantahala Outdoor Center, or more fondly referred to as NOC. Now's a good time to find your campfire beverage of choice, maybe get a little cozy, and prepare to hear from Garrett and Shelby. Welcome to Camping Out. I'm Dan Camp, and tonight we get the opportunity to sit down next to the fire with a true outdoor power couple, Garrett and Shelby Phelps. I was fortunate enough to meet and work with both of them at Wildman Adventure Resort in Wisconsin as seasonal guides. Since then, they've really found their stride in the world of outdoor recreation and even started a few creative side hustles along the way. As members of the Nantahala Outdoor Center team, they've worked and grown together and recently decided to tie the knot. An outdoor couple with the world at their fingertips, Garrett and Shelby, welcome to Camping Out. Thank Hello. you for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. So good to see your beautiful faces. It has been like, uh, I think you said three and a half years since we've mm -hmm. seen each other. Yeah. So it'll be fun to catch up and, and hear your stories. And you guys have really taken off and done some really... <clears throat> pretty incredible things that I admire. So uh, I'm excited to hear about them. But for starters, I have to know what your, your fireside beverage is tonight. Shelby. Okay, so I'm drinking uh, Kalamazoo coffee, coffee, blah, 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 blah. Kalamazoo coffee. Um, it has a little bit of Bailey's in it and it also has some honey. Mm. Delicious. And then I went with a tried and true um, hot cocoa. Hot cocoa, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've never had it before. It's Carolans. 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 Yeah. Carolans. It's a salted caramel Irish cream. Um, yeah. But we both went with warm beverages because it's actually like super chilly here in North Carolina. I was yeah. just about to ask. It must be cold by you guys. It is, but we've got a propane heater right at our butts right now, so we're definitely staying warm and toasty. Mm -hmm. Keeping the assets warm. That was my pun of the night. That's all I got. Um, I'm, I'm drinking bourbon. You guys probably could have guessed that. I whipped out the, the good stuff. Got the small batch four roses. And it is so delicious. If you've never had it, I highly recommend to all of those listening. Um, tell everybody who doesn't know you, uh, maybe separately, and then like how it came together uh, as a couple. Um, I don't care how, what order you guys want to go in, but how you grew up, was outdoor recreation a thing, family life? all the way to like the inspiration to, to be outside. And then uh, you, you guys as a couple. Why don't you go first on this one? Okay, so I'll go first. Um, so I was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan and totally raised on a very suburban type atmosphere. Uh, lots of fishing, turtling, hunting with my dad, outdoor a lot with my brother, but white water was never an introduction. Michigan is flat, so not a whole lot to do outside besides lake recreation 
And then um, I actually didn't get introduced into the whitewater industry until I met Garrett, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was the same year I met you. I think that was 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but leading up to that, just outdoor with my family, not a whole lot of camping, not a whole lot of other stuff. Um, and a whole lot of volleyball, which definitely got me like <laughs> athletic. So I got us where we are. I hear then, you on that. Like the athleticism side, like I, I come from an athletic background too. And there's like so many lessons that like almost go hand in hand between athletics and outdoor sports. I have to, I have to stop you real quick and ask what in the hell is turtling? <laughs> okay. So, um, there were a ton of really cool turtles in the lake that I lived right by. And, my brother and I and my dad would take the fishing boat out and basically just catch as many turtles as humanly possible in like a short span of time, catch them all, show them all to mom, maybe sign a couple of bellies and then release them all. But it was so all funny. about getting like the biggest and gnarliest and craziest turtle. And my brother was like jumping off the front of the boat to catch these things. And they're like alligator snappers. So they're not like little guys. They're little like the ones turtles. you want to and grab fast. Otherwise <laughs> right. you're something for sure wow i've never heard of that. that's awesome sorry i didn't mean to interrupt garrett no you're good you uh <laughs> turtling is an odd word to come into yeah, into yeah. play i know i heard that and i was like i have to ask i have to ask <laughs> that. um but for me growing up i only remember camping with my family probably once and it was mm-hmm. like sophomore year in high school um <laughs> it was it's wild but it's crazy but I went to like church camp when I was in elementary school mm-hmm. and that was my first kind of real outdoorsy experience of that sense. Um, and then after that, I was introduced to a different camp where they did a trip called the extreme UP and they went up to the UP and spent a week in like a specific third of the, of the peninsula. And you just stayed there and traveled around and maybe set up camp three times throughout the week and did all sorts of different cool um, adventures outside. So that um, was your that was your intro to outdoors. That was definitely my <laughs> intro to outdoors. And after that, it it drew me to the UP. Mm-hmm. Once it drew me to the UP, I met Zach Blackman, who yep. you worked with probably your first season. And yeah, he season. was at my first year at Wildman, yeah. Um, but he introduced me to Wildman actually, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of fell in my lap and I applied for it when I was in Hawaii visiting my brother the first time and, um, had a really wild interview, but like, (laughs) just um, kept bugging until you got the job. (laughs) Yeah. I kept bugging until I got the job. Persistence pays off. Yeah. It does. But like Shelby had said, like we had never experienced whitewater before Wildman. And mm-hmm. so my first day on the job was my first day in whitewater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was Francis Wagner going, here's some gear. Yep. You're, you're going to be in the back of the trip. Just keep people off the rocks, man. You'll be, you'll be all right. Listen to the right. talk. Right. Well, yeah. first, as a whitewater mentor, you can't have a better guy than Francis Wagner. I, I think about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. You both... And I was that way too. I didn't have uh, whitewater guiding experience. I'd been on, you know, class one, class two stuff in Missouri uh, leading up to it. I'd gone on one trip in Glacier National Park with my dad, uh, but I'd never really done it. But I was super drawn to it. So I'd love to hear, like, what drew you guys uh, into, like, the guiding the guiding realm? Um, I just love the outdoors. I think that's what really drew me in, in, in general is 
I was at this kind of standstill point in my life and didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to go or what was next. Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, Hey, this fun thing that I did last summer, you should do this fun thing this summer. Yeah. And I feel like that's a lot of people's story when it comes to it is that one of their buddies was like, Hey man, I had this really fun summer. You should come and try it. Right. And you end up devoting your life to this thing now. Because <laughs> right. You're like, yeah, what else are you supposed to do now? Yeah, <laughs> like what? It's like, it's for lack of a better analogy, it's like being unplugged from the matrix. It's like, this is what life should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. That is, that is uh, really cool. I, I actually, people ask me the question, you know, like, uh, could I do this? And the answer is always yes. Cause I think anybody mm-hmm. typically could at least get into it. Not everybody's yeah. a great guide, but most people can, but I do caution them that once you start doing it, you might not stop doing it. It is a slippery slope. Yeah. So uh, tell us where you guys are now and kind of uh, your roles and positions and, uh, you know, what your day-to-day looks like. So um, right now we're at the Nanny Halo Outdoor Center. We're in Bryson City, North Carolina, where basically we are surrounded by a bunch of gorgeous Blue Ridge Mountains or Great Smoky Mountains. because right now, right now we're, we're basically living, we're holding down the fort, us and one other couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, when season is fully ramped, Shelby right now is a trip leader um, and is hoping to move forward going into the next season. We, she, we just have to both, we're both going to apply for a different position possibly this season. Mm-hmm. So Nice. Um, but as of the end of last season, Shelby was a trip leader. Second season being a trip leader. Second season trip leader. And then I was at the end of my first season being a head guide. And so right. the way the way our hierarchy works is it goes guide, trip leader, lead guide, head guide, and then management. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of worked your way up. Worked my way up. But Garrett worked his way up abnormally quick. He was here for two I weeks. I noticed that. I noticed that. I saw it when you took the job at NLC. I was like, holy crap, he's flying up the ladder. And and part of that, I was really lucky with the time that I came in to the river that I came to. Mm-hmm. Um, because the year prior they had a lot of guys that maybe didn't fit the bill of, of being an NOC employee and they moved on their, on their separate ways. And so it, it left, it took a lot of old heads out of the picture and it yeah. made me coming in being fresh blood, having worked in the industry before and made my mistakes and moved forward from them. I was able to excel really well. And I think that, I think the only reason I did as well as I did here is because of all the mistakes I made at Wildman, because yeah. I would not have shined the way I shown here. But what's really funny is that when I first got here, I actually applied for mm-hmm. a photos position. Yeah. And it really got me introduced to everything. And in all reality, I was absolutely terrified of whitewater when I left Wildman. Absolutely yeah. unearth shattering, terrified of whitewater because I had the worst swim of my life there did everything nobody ever wants to do in white water. And then I got here and I was like, white water is not my thing. I want to sit on the sidelines, get pictures of people. And I had a really fun summer, but it's so funny the difference between being on the water and like getting that interaction with people versus Mm -hmm. someone like me just sitting on the sidelines, not talking at all. Like I had no uh, socializing. And so next season I, I did, um, what we would call a guide school or a pod and yeah. jumped head first, terrifying. And then I'm like, what was I even afraid of in the first place? It's just so stupid. 
And so you've both kind of gravitated to uh, leadership positions, which is uh, pretty cool, I think. What yeah. drew you guys to, and it seems like it's still drawing you to uh, climb the ladder, I guess, what's the fire underneath you to continue? Uh, some people become a guide and they are so content with rolling out of their truck the next day, getting told yeah. what they're doing and moving on. So I, I guess my question to you guys is uh, what drives you to be in those leadership roles? Um. I, I think that we both have this embedded kind of pursuit of excellence to some extent. And I think that that's, I think that that's the, the core driving factor behind it. Yeah. Um, and, well, then, and we absolutely love our, our bosses. We want everyone in this company to be successful. So the better that we perform, the better they get. And it's just like this never ending cycle of I'm going to scratch your back. You're going to scratch mine. We're going to keep kicking butt and just rolling down this hill. And there's no stopping that hill. Now it's like, we just keep going up and up and up, which is so humbling and wonderful. And and being with a company that you really appreciate can, yeah. you know, like Shelby said, when they scratch your back, I want to do something for you. I want you want to do something for me back and forth. I want to be a bomb ass guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I, I also like to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it becomes more of like a family uh, than coworkers. And I think that's such a unique, I don't know, I've experienced it twice in my life. And one was sports and one was a guiding community. Mm-hmm. And both were distinctly different, but the core tenet was the same. It was uh, that you get up and even on days when uh, you're sick or hungover, and uh, or maybe days where it's rainy and cold and you didn't you forgot your dry suit and in days like that you put on your best show you put on your best performance and you were still there because you had that family and that fa- like yep. the scratch my back scratch your back mentality you know you you're out there for those people so i think yeah that's that's really fun to hear you guys talk about that's cool and it's nice to be the guy yeah like when like when somebody says hey will you go and do this and it may be something yeah. that nobody wants to do and you're like yeah, sure. Let's go. I'll do it. Or something as simple as like, Hey, go count the wetsuits. Hey, go count the booties. I'm not going to go over there and complain about it. I'm not going to go over there and I'm not going to slack. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to go to my boss and tell them exactly what happened. And then the next day, everything's going to be where it's supposed to be. Like there's no, there's no room for slackers and, and, in my opinion. And one point that I've <laughs> wanted to make, there's always slackers though. <laughs> I lost my train. I remembered it is that one reason that personally I want to move up is that I see the standard that I want, mm-hmm. whether I, you know, I've, I realize that my standard might be here and that no matter what, they're always going to perform somewhere in here. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always going to set my standard higher and yeah. that's just how it works. But I want to see that standard higher. I want to see my guides help to a higher standard and be better guides and want to do, you know, after work, you know, continuing ed and doing fun things because maybe they don't realize it's continuing ed, but it is continuing ed, but things that just make them better guides and and better people, exactly. Better people. This is like human camp. We're just producing better humans. Every single new guy, they're all better people when they leave. And and you have to realize like, just for our river here, we're hiring almost a hundred people between full-time and part-time river employees yeah it's not a small operation and (laughs) and so you know we have the opportunity to interact with you know basically college-age freshmen or 
technically younger than college age freshmen. Because they're usually fresh out of high school. Yeah. And it's yeah. five to 50% of, of the people that we bring in. And so it, right. you know, we get to have that. This is the standard we hold. This is what you should be holding as well. And some people, some people say, some people don't, you know, <laughs> why, why do you guys think you have that drive? Like what, what happened to you guys or what did you see in your, in your life that said to you, I want to bring people to this level. I just, I was sometimes when I look at rafting, just because I wasn't introduced to it when I was young, when I look at it, I'm like, wow, these people are on vacation and they're willing to spend however much a person to go on a raft for two hours. And to me, like with never having the opportunity as a kid, I'm like, man, they're spending that much a person to spend two hours with me, almost no phones on the water outside. So this is my unique opportunity, not only to make a difference because I just get to have fun and I'm getting paid, but at the same time, like some of these people have no idea that maybe they're harming the environment or maybe this might strike a young kid to go out and invent something that's going to clean the oceans. Who knows? It's not up to you, but your standard on the experience that you give is hopefully going to set those people off to be better people. That's mm. what you hope at least. So if we could just do six people a raft, yeah, we, we could at least make an entire revolution of people who love the outdoor industry. Right. Cause that's, that's what we need. We need more money being pumped into the outdoor industry. That's what's going to save it. So yeah. What an answer. I'm, oh, yes. I've run through a brick wall. That is so cool. It, it's it's fun because I'm sure you guys have experienced this too. When, uh, when you do a really good job, people remember that really good job. They might not remember specifically like your name or whatever, but the next year they're coming back. And if they don't remember you specifically, they're like, the guy, beard, long hair. Uh, he did this. Yeah. He, he, he did this. And, this. and he. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're going to be like, yep, that's Garrett. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you in the raft with them. And uh, that, that person, I mean, you've shaped and molded that person's life, especially I, I have such an affinity to, uh, to reaching out to like the younger generations because that's yes. the future. And so uh, when you can create that, that uh, I call the Disney world experience, because like you mm -hmm. said, Shelby, people are choosing to come go rafting with you than to do anything else. So I always like liken it to like the biggest attraction ever Disney, you know, <laughs> no, we're going to NLC. We're going to go rafting with these guys and you're creating this un forgettable experience and who knows in 10 15 years they might be where you guys are yeah you yeah. can only hope yeah <laughs> fingers crossed and i would say personally similarly to the question that shelby was answering is i would i want to share my my flow experience mm -hmm. yes. because and 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 as well as flow experience first time experience because whether it's first time flow or or first time doing it it's a it's like personally thinking back to my first time in whitewater or my first time doing certain things in whitewater. Um, they're super fond memories mm -hmm. and right. I can, you know, I, I take probably 60 to 70% of my guests, 60% of my guests are first timers. I'm like, who's who in the boats never rafting before. And, and almost the whole raft, especially this past season was unbelievable. Yes. So first timers and, and it has a lot to do with the river we're on too because mm -hmm. it's a very you know when mild you, when you call nmc and you're like hey i want to go rafting i've never been before they're like let's Nana put you on the <laughs> yeah, right 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 and i think that that's why we love this river so much just because 
we do have a lower age for the kids that get to go at seven years old. You're planting that seed. You're planting a seed with a lot younger crowd that have probably had a screen in front of their face since the moment that they came out. So let's squeeze from them for a little bit. And it's really nice to be on a river that we're not constantly Oh my gosh, the next rapid is coming up. Oh my gosh, right. I got to make sure this person's locked in. Like, it's like, okay, lock in guys coming around the corner and you can just be chillax and just like rock spin off of things and mm-hmm. have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Brock Fisher talked about the, uh, the flow state and the uh-huh. very first episode of this podcast. So I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts and your take and just like a little bit of what the flow state means to you. So we actually weren't introduced to, it was wild. We came from, Wildman, where to me, I only ever heard about um, like autopilot levels is kind of as what everybody kind of referred to where like you just like all of a sudden you've missed like 15 minutes of your trip. You're like, how did I get here? What have I just said? Like you're just doing stuff. And that put this kind of negative connotation on it for me at the time. Mm -hmm. Came into NOC and what's wild is the First day you come in at NOC, you learn what the flow state is. Day First one. Day and they don't do in-person anymore, but Payson Kennedy, who was one of the founders of NOC, who's big in flow, he, you know, he <laughs> hit one of his favorite books is Zen and the uh, Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay. Um, and that's that's big on on oh. it's a it, they don't call it flow but it's the idea of flow yeah mm-hmm. um, and that you could really flow in anything you know he's like right. you one of his you know odd kind of examples is you could flow doing paperwork at the library right you, know, you you could flow doing anything right um, it's just from person to person yeah and and it's wild the like the drive that you can have to achieve that flow too. And, and knowing when you're going to, when you might flow and then when you might enter panic zone is, right. is important. Too. I feel like they can be very close at times. They can. And it, it, I think that that is a, the determining factor of that is the consequence that comes into the flow because you're not going to flow. I have a friend who says that you can't flow on the Nanahala in a, in a raft. <laughs> he says in a raft, you cannot flow on the Nanahala at normal levels because there's no consequence for the most part. Like you could, you could always die. But in all reality, you know, yes, yeah. the consequence isn't there to, to be able to flow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, I feel like once you get to the higher end of that consequence, that's when your panic zone is coming in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I hear, I hear flow state a lot in uh, high adrenaline, athletes mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the outdoor industry do you think that nature has a tendency to bring out that consequence versus flow uh ratio yes especially because elements are such an odd thing for us to be around all the time and nature is gonna do what nature is gonna do it's brutal i was gonna say you right. know when it's the the literary trope or whatever man versus man nature versus nature man versus nature nature always wins when it's man versus nature mm-hmm. right. and, and <laughs> there's like a a river is a non-stop avalanche so, <laughs> wow i read that somewhere i don't don't think that i just like came up with that. That I'm, cool. that. I'm putting your name next to that quote that's beautiful <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it, it's a literal nonstop avalanche. Like, I don't know how much a gallon of water weighs, but it's a lot, especially mm-hmm. when there's a thousand cubic feet of it coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh, in your time and your evolution as, as guides and, and, and leadership and, and uh, growing, what has been your most unexpected challenge that you've had to come up against and face? Okay, I have a really funny one because this one just like popped into my head. There are so many challenges when it comes to being in the outdoor industry just because yeah. the people that we have chose to be, it is so much easier to not care. It is so much easier to not care. Like just put the PFDs up however you want, throw the booties, who cares? But the craziest thing and the biggest challenge that we have come up across is when we were working together on truck and trailer. So so to preface that, we have so many rental boats that go out on the Nantahala. Like we're putting hundreds of boats out on the 4th of July that are right. every on the water. And so, so we have to drive these big truck and trailers, very similar to Wildman, but think of two more of those right. in stack super tall. Yeah. And so we went out on July 5th, which is one of the busiest days ever. And we are always working that job every single Saturday, all season, because we're always going to be on time. Earliest we're, shift. we're always going to do a good job and they're never going to have to deal with any crap with us because we have a high standard. Right. So we were boats, this. Yeah, boats get stacked a certain way. They get put in a certain spot. Yep. Is, that's the way oh, it is. It is so pretty too. If you come in <laughs> on imagine. Saturday, trailer, those boats are lined up perfectly every time. Anywho, um, so we're on July 5th, blowing boats all day. It's brutal, like finish the day and throw the ropes, get everything tied down and we start driving back. And this is when the rain hit like nobody's business, like the craziest torrential downpour we have ever been in. And especially these trucks are insane. Like they're so big. You're right on top of the axle. So turning is kind of crazy. It's like Isuzu box truck kind of thing. You're right in the window. Right. Um, So we're driving down the road and I'm like, man, this is looking like landslide weather. And you know what? We have a landslide almost twice every season, if not once every season. For the last insane. And it'll shut the road down. It'll shut the river down. It's unbelievable. We're just yeah. in a very wet area. But so we're driving back and we're like five to 10 minutes away from the center. And this is the only road that leads to the center. The other one is going all the way around the mountain and it's an hour and 15. Oh, and so we get stopped and there are cars and all kinds of stuff in front of us. And there had been a pretty good sized landslide where it was like roads closed, nothing's happening. And we both have these trucks on a two lane curvy roads. It was 100 yards of trees down. Oh, what did I say? Trucks? No, landslide. It was 100 yards of trees down in the road. And so we have these huge rigs on a two lane road. We have a 30 foot truck and a 30 foot trailer. Like big mountain on the right, river on the left, and the cop goes, Y'all need to turn around. (laughs) I'm like, How do you expect me to turn around? He was like, Well, just back it up like a mile. I'm sure that there's like a turnaround back there. And turn like doing that in reverse in your own vehicle is hard. Yeah. Doing it in reverse with like a double truck with a double sized trailer on it is just not happening. And so no. I'm I'm backing mine up, and as I'm backing mine up, he's kind of pushing traffic and having them turn around. And he comes to this semi because this is like the through fare for all semis in that spot. Otherwise, you gotta go around the mountain the other way. Oh yeah. So he has this full eighteen wheeler do a one eighty and drive out of there because it's the most impressive thing I'd ever seen a truck do. Because. 
on the nanny, there's plenty of like pull-offs where you can yeah. launch from. And so he kind of turned around on one of those pull-offs. And then, so I looked at the police officer. I was like, do that for us. He's like, I'll try that. I was like, I'll try that. He's like, I don't want you to jackknife. I was like, okay, whatever. And the guy, a guy came up and offered to hook up a toe strap to the tongue of the trailer. And just so like it, pivot it on so the we, pavement. So we just chalked a wheel and pivoted it and then rehooked the trucks up and drove an hour and 15 around. We're still around the mountains. <laughs> And we're still in torrential downpour. We're still like watching boats go by. No idea if it's safe for boats to be going by. And one of our friends goes by and I was like, hey, watch out for trees. And he was like full panic mode. He was like, oh God. And like when he got off that trip and he came up to me afterwards, he was like, don't ever do that to me ever again. But the drive back was insane. So you're, the, you're running, you're going up probably 10% grade going down 12%. 12%. And like my in a torrential started, downpour. Yeah. Yes. And so was, my, it was dry by then. Yeah. It was it, dry on that side. Cause you're above the mountain. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I'm coming down the mountain to go to NOC and get to the other side. And I had to run a stop sign because the downgrade was so intense and my tires are like smoking like Squealing, crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we got back and well, Garrett I, I arrives first. I pulled okay. in about five minutes before he had, he had a butter of a drive. No problem. Everything's good. I'm back. <laughs> and they all give him a round of applause. Woo! Standing ovation. I pull in and everyone was like, oh, she'll be here. They're and I was like the one who needed the hand, like the absolute, oh my gosh, I needed the applause. It uh, was such a hard drive. Yeah. That was probably one of the wildest things. That was the like biggest challenge for me. Yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> I will add a tidbit because that story was really good. Um, I would say one of my biggest challenges was time, place, tone. Mm-hmm. And just that like knowing when to say it, knowing where to say it, and knowing how to say it. Because well, time, place, tone? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Well, and he's got to give feedback to people all the time. Like Garrett's the right. person that our boss is like, "Hey, Garrett, go tell him what he's doing wrong." Yeah, or or right. I'm I'm expected to see what's going wrong or foresee what could go wrong, <laughs> and then do something about it and, before it and say something about it. Like for us, one big thing because we load on top of bus on top of the bus, we put two mm-hmm. stack on top of the bus. We are one of the only companies in North Carolina required to wear a harness and a helmet on the top of the bus. For stupid reasons. Yeah. But OSHA? All- Is that OSHA? Yes. No, yeah. it's OSHA. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a big contention item between the guides. Yeah. And so when I, when I see somebody not doing it and I look up at them and I holler at them in front of everybody, whether I'm – by holler, I just mean project my voice. I don't mean – I'm not necessarily trying to give them a tone. I may give them a tone, but – um, he, he gives a tone. Probably gave a tone. <laughs> um, very authoritative. Here's <laughs> me. Um, but like knowing that, hey, maybe I can walk up to the side of the bus and be like, hey, man, come down here for one second. Yeah. You're like, just completely annihilate this guy on top of the bus and make him feel like garbage in front of a crowd of people. Yeah. That would happen very fast. Yeah. Right. And that's just right. being conscious of surroundings, too. And that's, that's, Head on a swivel. That's everything. Yeah, and that comes uh, that comes with, I guess, the leadership that you've. Uh, yeah, and it comes with of. messing it up too. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta. That's a crucible of of leadership is uh, doing it wrong a couple of times and and then figuring yeah. out the right way to do it. And I totally agree. Um, 
I'm going to shift just a little bit because I think that your guys's relationship is really cool. And the fact that you guys like got married and did all this stuff while working together is hard enough. Well, I should, I should go back. A relationship is hard enough. Yes. Working together in a relationship is super hard. And then uh, working in leadership roles as a relationship are super hard. And and then you mix in the fact that you guys are working in the outdoor industry and you guys are dirtbags and like you guys have like this, you know, lifestyle that isn't, you know, uh, linear, I guess, you know, it's not what people think of. Uh, I would love to hear about your guys's, uh, you know, decision to get married and uh, just kind of like how your relationship works within that paradigm. Yeah. Um, so what's wild is early on, and you may have been a, a you may have kind of seen this from the outside. Um, early on, we didn't do really well. No, we we had a lot of problems early on because we didn't know how to work together and live together and share a car and, 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 and do everything be together. 90% of our day. Well, Truthfully, yeah. we are probably together 90% of our day every day. Right. Yes. And at this point, we still share a car. Mm-hmm. But um just, just because it's financially yeah, but actually, that's a great decision. Yeah. I think that marriage is actually a lot easier when you live in this industry just because of oh my gosh, it's just so much easier to drive one vehicle to the same place. And then you have this like awesome coworker that you work with that, you know, you don't have to have a filter with, you can read their emotions all the time Mm -hmm. and you can just count on them. And And, and that's incredible. There are so many people you work with in the outdoor industry where you're like, can I count on this? Can I count on this person? Mm -hmm. There, there is no question. So it just makes the team natural. And if anything, Mm -hmm. I think working together made us so much better as partners to each other, friends to each Mm other, lovers to each other, everything like, but that all, that all stems from communicating to one another. Yes. Because, and that may sound so trivial and I may sound Everyone's like communication. Well, duh. Oh, duh. well, you're right. Duh. You would think so. But right. you know, our first six to seven months, I was we, like super passive aggressive. Yeah, we, and... we didn't know how to communicate and we're yeah. still learning how to communicate to each other. I gave Shelby a mean tone earlier today. And, and I was like, Hey, don't be like that. I know you didn't mean it, but don't be like that. Yeah. And it's, it's being able, you know, because you spend so much time together, assuming that you do, you know, and you're in a similar situation to what we are, where we live together, work together, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you have to be able to let some stuff shed off, you know, water off a duck's back, you gotta let some shed off, but other stuff, if you do latch to it for whatever reason, like it was harmful to you. Yeah. You, we make sure that we're apologizing for that. Um, and that comes within our relationship as well as within our roles in the company as well. Like knowing when to apologize to a coworker. It's um, knowing when to apologize to your wife or your husband mm-hmm. or your friend. But, but that in the coming from apologizing to the coworker stems initially from being able to apologize to your, to your significant other. Um, and just being humbled with them as well. And it, it all kind of goes together and helps each other, helps each other. And eventually you just are able to grow a lot easier together. And one thing that was kind of hard for me that should like Shelby will a lot of time be like, take your balloon and pull it back down to earth level <laughs> for one second. Very visual. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
that could be for anything, but a really good example that I have for it that comes to mind is, I think it might've been this season, we're working truck and trailer together. And when we work truck and trailer, we both do our own thing. We're always doing those things. And like we said, we have a system for it. And yeah. so that runs really smooth. It's pretty ridiculous, actually. <laughs> it is ridiculous. But this, this guy pulls up because it's a pretty trafficked area. This guy right. pulls up and I'm just kind of joking around with him. And I made kind of an offhand comment about how Shelby does so well at what she does because she does what she's told. Not what I should have said. This is like the fifth time he said this too. He was like, Shelby's a really good partner because she does what she's told. And I was like, and Shelby is a right. strong-willed woman. And I was like, I need to nip this in the bud now before he yeah. comes to continue. And so Shelby brought it to my attention, rightfully so. <laughs> and now I can look at it in such a more... Um, Positive way. Well, I was going to say respecting and appreciative way to where like, I know what Shelby puts in whether I see it or not, like when we mm. go to the, when I go to do TNT and I'm not working with Shelby, cause I had this experience this year. Yeah. I'm, I worked with Shelby probably 90% of the time when we did TNT. And, and we've almost worked like 200 TNT days together. Yeah. That that's a very big over exaggeration. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a lot. It was like uh, 200. <laughs> what? Um, but I, oh I worked gosh. with somebody else and I realized that when you like, we get a lot of helpers that come in, Shelby right. teaches the help for me. I never had to teach anybody because Shelby was like, this goes here like this, 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 and Shelby just has the patience to teach them mm-hmm. in that setting. And so I never realized what I was missing until it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> that was romantic. <laughs> so I guess it goes back to, uh, communication and honest and open communication being, mm-hmm. uh, not harsh, but being open and being, uh, direct, I guess, in, in what mm-hmm. you're saying, and then not taking offense to the, I wouldn't call it criticism. I would call it your communication, yeah. uh, and then seeing what the other person contributes. And you could call it criticism. I, I don't see any problem in calling it that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, it's just, a, it's not a negative criticism. It's positive feedback. Right. Um, and a big thing as well, if we're talking about apologizing, a big thing as well that we really value when it comes to that and we love sharing when it comes to that is we don't, like if I come to Shelby and say, hey, I want to apologize and we try not to use sorry just because apologize is such a stronger word. Right. Um, you know, if I say, hey, Shelby, I want to apologize for um, the tone that I gave you earlier. Um, I really didn't mean to do that. I'll try not to do that again. And I either get to choose to say it's okay or maybe in that situation, he really didn't mean it. So it didn't really, you know, resonate on me. And there are, there are very few situations where we get to say it's okay. And right. then I said, I appreciate, I would say, I appreciate your apology. And we would just kind of go on from there. Whereas like me saying that it wasn't okay should be hurtful enough that, mm-hmm. you know, okay, I never want to do that again because saying that it's okay. That's not okay. You were hurt. You, it's not okay. You had to right. apologize for some reason. So there's no reason for you to say it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, it's a dangerous word. Mm-hmm. It is so dangerous. Yeah. Well, I think those are good lessons for everybody in the world, whether you work with your significant other or, you know, in this crazy COVID world that we live in, you know, people are spending more time with their partners. So I think those key tenants you guys just went through, <laughs> yeah, improve a lot of relationships. Divorce, uh, right. so I'm yeah. say Bring it down, baby. <laughs> I want to, um, we're, uh, we're 
getting a little tight on time, but I want to really uh, dive into the fact that you guys are some of the most creative people in your own realms that I've ever met before. I mean, uh, Garrett, I've seen you pretty much make everything that you create. It's crazy. And the art that Shelby creates is just beautiful. I've seen you draw like the most realistic murals on people's paddles and like send them out to them. So it's just really incredible. Um, I would love to hear more about your creative side. And then I know you guys have actually created um, some, some side hustles and some businesses based off of your creative endeavors. So I'd love to hear you guys talk about those, those uh, creations. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, Dan, like you said, I've done a lot. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the first things you saw me do was the bench at Wildman. Yeah. And so anybody listening knows that bench, I made it. <laughs> I mean, you took a chainsaw and essentially took this fallen tree, replaced an entire like wood bench with just Eyeball. a chainsaw, eyeballing yeah. it. And it's still there. It's still there. <laughs> but um, I'm going to give a quick list of the, all of the stuff just because, like you said, it's a lot. So I want to kind of give a representation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost was Carpe Fluvium, which was the bags. And we'll kind of mm-hmm. talk about that in a minute. Um, I have just started kind of looking into and, and have gotten a small chance to dabble in glass blowing or lamp mm-hmm. working. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's kind of taking a lot of my pull right now. Yeah. Um, uh, we're about to start a bus build, which mm-hmm. should be pretty cool. Um, I've done a little bit of forging. I've made some rings before, um, a lot of woodworking, a lot of leather working. Um, but a lot of like a lot of textiles, textiles are kind of big cause you can mess up and not know, which is yeah. cool. I, that's one thing that I really like about it is the perfection is a little bit easier to achieve. I did not make a list of things that I have done. However, um, I have been making a lot of really cool paintings and painting on shirts and basically like anything that allows me to paint a bright color on something is like, I have, since I've been introduced to what flow is, and Garrett and I have talked a lot about this when it comes to finding a career that we love to do, Mm -hmm. I find myself flowing and getting a type of, um, I'm not going to call it a drug, but a type of chemical release when I paint and when I finish something that is indescribable. I am not necessarily addicted to it, but I absolutely enjoy making things. Um, I've been working on a lot of really cool projects. Um, I'm actually not going to share some of the ones that I'm working on just because I want to leave those to the future, but I've been doing a lot of paddles, um, murals. I have hopefully the opportunity to paint on a couple of buildings this year. And I have like seven paintings to do right now. And I keep getting messages from friends and loved ones. And like, I have not had to sell a painting in like four years they have sold themselves. It has been yeah. effortless. I will just start telling a story and saying how much I love painting and people won't even see my work and they want to buy it. So, so it's just been the most fruitful five years, four years of painting. Mm-hmm. And I just picked it up randomly in Iowa, like four years ago, three mm-hmm. years ago. Michelle, had a, a good creative upbringing as yeah, well. A lot of, sure. a lot of craft time. What, what was your uh, creative upbringing? 
So my mom would like take out plates and bowls and mugs and basically just like paint on just about anything we could find. My mom was painting on um, tables and really Mm -hmm. cool stuff. So every single time that I had an opportunity to even just do calligraphy or paint something, it was always just super exciting. Like, you know, the day at school when you're making your nameplate, everyone's like, oh, that sucks. Or like, we got to draw all day. I'm like, let's go. And I would just get so about it. And so I just picked up a paintbrush one day and I was like, let's just see where this goes. So I'm all Mm -hmm. self-taught. Which is incredible. I I hope everybody that listens to this goes and sees your art because the fact that you're self-taught is is mind-blowing. Well, and you know, it's so humbling at the same time. Like, I feel like even if I had an education in it, I probably still feel like there was infinite amount of information I could take in. And I'm, I'm actually really um, patient with myself in the process, which makes it a lot easier for me to continue to get better and continue to sell these because I tend to put my prices a little bit lower just because I'm still learning and I love every opportunity that I get. A lot of people think that I'm wasting my time or that I'm not putting in enough money towards the effort that I'm putting in. But at the same time, like I'm investing in my future self and I'm excited to be on the wall of someone that I love because I only sell to people either I know I've taken rafting. I am friend of a friend type of situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that makes them even more emotionally invested in the painting and the artwork, but also invested in me because I don't want my interaction with my painting to be the one thing. I want to come over to your house and see it at your house. Like, right. I don't want it to be the only time I see it. Cause I'm addicted to seeing that at that point. I want to yeah. go see that in your house. So. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, <laughs> what would be your advice? Cause I think uh, artistic or creative expression is a big sphere. It could be music. It could be painting and it could be leather working. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's a lot of ways to express yourself creatively. And I think that um, maybe sometimes being artistic in different ways, isn't seen as, cool like mainline cool so uh i think it's super important what would be your advice to uh somebody to encourage them to find that creative expression in their life i i'll go first because you actually have a really good answer for this and i'll be quick um i think that it's really really important for people to give Now, the reason that I say that creatively is because when I started doing paint and doing artwork and and creating, I was not creating for myself. Um, It it became therapeutic, which was wonderful. And that's for me. But when I started, I was like, you know what? I want to make a painting for my dad because I love him and I want to show it on a piece of paper or on canvas. And when I started gifting it, I just started taking pictures and I put them online and a couple of people liked them. And I was like, wow, I I might actually be good at this. Continued to gift, continued to gift that now people want to buy it. Okay. Now I'm getting a little bit better and I can charge a little bit more and I'm continuing to gift and I will never stop gifting because it, it, it reignites that playful, creative side of myself. And there's no reaction like the reaction of a person that has no idea it's coming, especially when they're down in the dumps. I, um, I will be really quick on this. I had uh, my best friend, her stepdad was diagnosed with cancer in his face. He could no longer emotionally react to anything. It was really hard on the family. So I made them a bear, which James would have loved. Um, (laughs) I made a bear for them and I sent it to them and I said, Hey, open it as a family. And ever since then, that's been this wonderful totem in their home of um, healing. And he is actually in remission right now. So it's wow. just like this 
constant, wonderful recreation of that um, childlike creation all the time. It's awesome. So that's my advice. Give often. Mm -hmm. Find, find something that you enjoy first, first and foremost, because I've been a big advocate for quite some time. Actually, I think that this is what has partially made me do what I do for a living is I read this book when I was a freshman in high school. Can't remember the name of it. Can't remember who wrote it, but the guy who wrote it is if you've ever been to like a newer playground where they have the like shredded tire as instead of wood chips. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the compressed ones of that. He's the dude who was like, we should do this and made into dollars doing it. (laughs) And so he writes this book. And one of the things he talks about is like, add it up, add up how long you're doing your job for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, how many hours in 52 weeks. And then how many years do you work that job? Do you hate what you do for eight hours? And, and bringing that into the realm of what do you do in your free time? Then if you, if you do love what you do, and then you get to do something that you love even more now in your free time, that's what you should be searching for, I think. But I have a kind of quick list on that. And I said, research your desired goal and whatever that artistic thing might be, I recommend finding some way to learn either more about it or how to do it. That being personally, I love YouTube or somebody who has done it. You know, there are some things that require a teacher. Right. Um, for instance, I had a chance to go and try snowboarding for the first time, like three days ago. What never, never, never been on a, like I've been on a board, never been on a mountain. Yeah. Um, with a board. With a board. <laughs> and one of the statements that, that my friend made was, this is one of those things where you just need somebody to show you how to do it because you couldn't just pick it up to do it. And there are some things like that. And I don't think that because something is like that, that it should deter you from wanting to, wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. That being said, you would need to then find a place or way to try it out for free or for cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, a good, a good example of that for me right now is I want a glass blow. You know, it's a thousand to five thousand to get a, a setup for it. Right. Well, why would I waste that money if I might not love what love doing it every day? Um, and so, find somebody that will either give you a lesson or a company that'll teach you or whatever it might be. And that, so, that's literally my next step for that is to end up doing that. And then, if you choose to do that thing, find or find or listen to people for good recommendations on gear and and tools for that trade or activity. Um, Because that's a big thing too. Like within, within rafting specifically, like when I started, I remember a day where I'm on the Peshtigo and it's hailing and I have a farmer John wetsuit on and that is it. (laughs) Can you imagine the pelt? Like, uh, yeah, I can. I can very clearly imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> we did three trips that day, and you can <laughs> you can bet the second and third trip, I had I had mittens, I had another right. wetsuit, I had like fresh wetsuit, a long sleeve, everything. And then yep. now, now we've just bought brand new Kokatat dry suit. Custom. So they are a dry suits, the best investment. I'm going to plug this. A dry suit is the best investment. If you like to be in the water, because there are a lot of days where it sucks outside. Absolutely. If you want to be in the industry a long time, mm-hmm. I think that that 
super important thing as well for that specifically, but we earned our dry suits. But that being <laughs> that being said, we we also chose to buy the Coquitat dry suit because of recommendations for, from it. And right. and not choosing to, you know, save an extra 200 $300, wait a little bit longer, you know, grin and bear it through whatever, you know, through the one more cold shoulder season to be able to get that nicer right. one that's going to last a lifetime rather than last you three seasons and, and you're just going to toss it. Right. Um, I think it's important to get good recommendations. Um, and if you try, and, and I think it's important that if you try and you love it, that you don't let anybody deter you from doing it. Um, yes. And I think that that might be the most important one is like, especially yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of that going around. Um, Pick yourself up and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. There shouldn't be my, my dad always told me when I was growing up, he was like, I have no limitations. And, <laughs> yes. and it's such a wild thing, but to some extent, like that's what drive, that's what drives me to the way that I am as well is like, I know that I can do anything. If I want to do it, I'll figure out a way to be able to do it. Will I do it? You know, will I be able to swim as well as Michael Phelps? Probably not. No, but, but you can swim as good as Garrett Phelps. Yeah, though. but I could go learn. To, <laughs> I could go learn to do the butterfly, <laughs> yeah. the doggy paddle. I can't swim. Oh, that's why she's no. Me. He's okay. the worst swimmer ever. <laughs> he looks like he's dying when he's swimming. He's like, I don't want this. That's <laughs> why they make PFDs. Exactly. I know. I know. Um, and the last one is. Um, kind of similar to that one is don't let sucking keep you from keep you away from trying. You know, yeah. you're fail often. Yeah, you're fail often, and was it fail up is the other one? Fail is it was that Tony Robbins something like that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> it. somebody said something good. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's just the idea that, like to bring it back to snowboarding. I my, my first two runs down, my buddy looked at me and goes, uh. Uh, like I could see that he knew that I was frustrated and was done. And, but I, I stood up and I kept on going, you know, just knowing that you're not always going to get it right. And to try it and try it again, little engine that could. Now let's say everything pans out for you guys. And uh, you come into an opportunity where you have unlimited resources, money's not an issue. And uh, you can really take a shot for what you want to do with your lives. What does the moonshot look for Garrett and Shelby? Um, so first and foremost, we would love to stay kind of in this area. Um, cause it's, it's this cool, you, you know, people always talk about getting all four seasons. You do get all four seasons. We get snow, we get rain, we get everything. So it's a great temperate place for us. Um, we're an hour from five to six major rivers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have recreation everywhere, but we would love to have our own little plot little plot yeah. of land um, and do you ever heard of permaculture? Not enough to describe or explain it to anybody. So why don't you uh, take care of that for me? Um, kind of a quick blurb about it. Permaculture is the idea that like, um, you know, your house is a central zone and you're, you're building your house in a way that um, is sustainable. It, yeah. It's a, it's normally a sustainable material and it's built in a way that, that harnesses, natural elements as best as possible so you, know, you don't need air conditioning it's natural yeah, like geothermal um a lot of um these older style you know elements of how to live brought back because right. really a fulfilling way to live 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, your house being your first zone, and then you can move your zones out and directly around the house are all of your kind of plants or animals that need the most intensive care. Um, maybe you have a plant that needs to be watered every day. That plant gets planted next to your house and then you kind of move away and you, you know, you're having your, um, composting set up over here. You're having your chickens over here. You're having, you know, your orchard over here, all, you know, you're basically self-sustaining, um, in the, in a permaculture setting, um, yeah. but you don't really have to be. Um, and it's, it's also about living a, a natural lifestyle, you know, something that we, um, appreciate a lot. Well, in a perfect world, also having, a, a significant amount of people to share that community with, because we really truly feel like it's so important for people to interact with other people, which is not happening very much right now, unfortunately. Um, so being in the guide industry definitely makes it a lot easier to interact with people you probably wouldn't on the normal day, but we would really like to have that community, wherever that be, to have at least some dirt bags in it. Mm -hmm. Got to have them. Not really not to sound like a commune, but I mean, if I had a a better word for it, that wasn't so tabooed almost, I would, I would use it, but that's almost a good word for it is that, you know, I, I only bring so much to the table. You bring something completely else to the table that you can help project there, propel the, the community forward with. Mm-hmm. Um, and permaculture, because there's so many aspects to it, it's nice to have a couple of different people. Right. Um, and then like you said, like you're kind of saying, if their money was no object on top of that, we would have a giant, you know, workspace of some sort, you know, mixed media. Workspace. Pottery, art, like you name it. We've Glass got it. blowing. Exactly. Oh yeah, everything. And it would be incredible because that's so much more doable in a community standpoint. Just like yeah. we have so many people that are talking about doing it here and it's like, man, we're so close guys, but hippies or I'm sorry, dirt bags are really good <laughs> at talking about their dreams but not actually making them a reality. Remember that kids. Dirt you, bags actually dream a lot. You can't always be a conceptualist. Yes. Sometimes right. you got to make it happen. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I thought you guys were so perfect for this podcast, because I think that's kind of what I seek to do. It's almost like a, it's like a pot, it's, it's dirt bags with a business side twist. You know, it, you have that uh, little twist of lime, which is uh, you want to be successful and you want to help other people be successful. I think it's a, a very distinct niche of people. Yeah. Well, uh, as we get ready to do our final questions, is there anything that you guys want to touch on that we haven't touched on yet before we head into those? Um, I think I should talk about the bags for a quick second. Sure, go for it. Uh, yeah, just I'd love for you to do that. I'd love for um, So this is one thing like Shelby and I have really been talking lately or, you know, we were talking lately um, about how we wanted to find a hobby for me that I really love doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just prefacing this and I'm going to explain the bags in a second. Sure. Um, and that's that like when it comes down to it, I don't love making the bags i enjoy making them but Mm -hmm. if i was going to sit down and hustle to do it i can't make that my my side hustle because i don't love it he loves to create new things he doesn't like to manufacture things i don't like to produce them i don't want to sit there and make the same bag over and over and over i want to make a different bag i mean we'll make a wild bag Mm -hmm. but and i'm sure you've seen some of those they're Um, really really cool (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like that was something that was our first real kind of 
entrepreneurial endeavor. That yeah. was a total nightmare because mm-hmm. we tried to start it at the worst time possible. Like mm-hmm. COVID was like kind of a whisper. And then out of nowhere, it was like an attack on everyone's lives. <laughs> and right. we had already spent the money to get the business license, like already did it all. And I, then it was like, oh God, what do we do now? <laughs> I had already bought my $1,000 sewing machine, $1,200 sewing machine. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have this hoss of a sewing machine now that I'm super happy that I have. Don't get me wrong. I love this thing. (laughs) But it's like, how often do you use that? And is it important to you enough to keep it? And it's just hard to decide that. But Mm -hmm. to kind of explain what we were doing was making kind of outdoor bags, whether that be backpacks, gear bags, basically anything that somebody wanted. For the most part. For for the most part. And that was a hard thing to come into as well as realizing when to say no. I don't want to make that bag. It's okay to say no. Mm-hmm, it is right. totally okay mm-hmm. to say no. And that's the best part about doing it as a hobby side hustle thing. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Nope. Right. Um, and so, you know, it went through a lot of different stages. Um, and I still love doing it. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to see it, uh, I know we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I'll give, I'll give that plug and they're welcome to look at it and, um, if they're really passionate about something and, and they share that with me and that's, and like I said, if it's something that I um, enjoy and I think I will be passionate about too, I'd be happy to make that for them. Um, He's also just loving making bags for people he loves, which mm-hmm. is like kind of similar with me. It's just like, he's more passionate about making it. If he loves you, if he doesn't love you, it's really hard for him to go out the cold, walk over and totally. make it It's like, no. Totally. I see our, our mutual friend Brandon's wearing his uh, every now and then in some of his Snapchat videos. He was one of the lucky few. Brandon mm-hmm. is probably one of my biggest supporters in a lot of my endeavors, and I appreciate that a lot. That's mm-hmm. one of those things. Um, Motivator. Yeah. And I don't, if anybody out there knows Brandon, I hope you realize that he's an awesome dude. That's something he's that my awesome mom, I've, I've known he's Brandon. He's that dude. I've known Brandon since sixth grade, and we've been very good friends, probably since seventh grade mm-hmm. um the only person that can match garrett's fairy tale ideas and try to make them happen is brandon and i love him for it because i could never match yeah. his excitement for like oh you want to make something wild like let's do it I'm like, yeah watching brandon and garrett what? together sometimes i'd have to like step back and just watch what was about to happen and unfold yeah you're not me. even there when they're there they're just oh, like i know yeah yep. i'm a third wheel when they're when he's in the room <laughs> <laughs> Too much flirting going on and I'm not even talking. <laughs> Gotta love a good bromance. Oh man. Love it. So for people who are listening, if uh what you're saying is that if if uh they have a cool bag project, and I'll tag your guys' uh social stuff uh, in the show notes and we'll talk about it here in a second. But uh if it's a project that they're like, oh man, maybe this guy would do this for me. Do you want them to reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've you can look at the stuff that I have on Instagram. Um, and kind of get an idea of, of some of it. And um, like I was able to do a really cool disc golf bag recently that was like a backpack style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of folded in on itself. I don't think that one's on there, but it. it yeah. It and I be. and I hand paint a lot of the um, flaps. I've, I've, done a, I've done a couple where I, um, it's kind of like a mosaic knitted, Quilt. uh, mosaic quilted um, flap for the bag. 
where my mom wanted a sea turtle, and so I had. And we knocked that stuff out of the park. That was gorgeous. Sea turtle. I saw pictures of that. I think right. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. That's definitely one where, like, if you if you want the all factor of all factor when it comes to like backpacks, that's a really cool one to show people. They're like, yeah, that real because it it does like it looks like it's swimming on the back. (laughs) Um, But like I did. I had a really difficult project where I made a, a, a camera, a camera bag, camera yeah. bag backpack. And that was an exchange for our wedding video. Mm-hmm. So um, you traded it. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 We try to do that as much as possible. Um, but that, that lady that we traded the backpack with is, did an incredible job on our wedding video. I mean, we only spent $400 on our entire wedding, including the dress. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's oh yeah. Awesome. Is gotta incredible. love that. <laughs> but everybody ate cold cardboard pizza. Everyone ate cold cardboard <laughs> pizza. Everybody had like, but I think was, I bought like Miller Lite and no, nobody drank any no, of it. I bought um, High Life because it's a champagne of beer. <laughs> champagne <laughs> of beers, baby. Yes. yes. We had 25 raft guides, all dirt bags basically on, on the mountain. Yep. And just, we decided like two weeks before, like, hey, let's get married in two weeks. Well, we, we were already engaged, but we just decided to move it forward and yeah. it worked perfect because then we didn't have to deal with COVID. Yeah, our original right. date was COVID. Knocked it out. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Makes it easy. All right. Well, um, you guys ready to move on to the final five questions? Bring them on. So. All right. Uh, question number one is super simple. Uh, it's just where can we find you guys on social media? And uh, is there anything else that you want to plug or bring attention to? I'll, I'll put anything you want in the show notes so that way people can uh, show, see what you guys are up to. Okay. So uh, social media is um, Shelby M. Phelps. So it's my whole name um, spelled Phelps with a P, but really please. I mean, I, I appreciate the followers, but in all reality, get off of social media, go outside. I don't want to see you on my Instagram. (laughs) I, one of the biggest reasons that Carpe Fluvium was so hard for me is it's just like the easiest way to sell is go online, be on your phone all the time. And I'm like, I am not a monkey. You cannot tell me what to do. I couldn't do it. So I'm like, you know what, if art's going to be my thing, it's either going to sell itself or I'm not going to sell it. Like it's stupid. Right. Social mm-hmm. media is literally killing you all. It's yeah. killing you all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I have a hard time with it uh, myself. And so I'm trying to build like this personal brand and uh, I find myself uh, some days I just don't, I'm like, you know yeah. what? I'm keeping my phone in my pocket and you know what? I'll talk to people tomorrow. So yeah, I feel you. Unplug, get away. Yep. Okay. Can I hear the question again? How how yeah. can they find social media? Okay. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, you're welcome to. I don't necessarily post enough for it to make it worthwhile for you following me, but you're welcome to if you want to see the exploits every once in a while. I get I put good highlights on. Carpe um, fluvium. But carpe fluvium designs um, is the other the Instagram. Other, the other Instagram yeah. for the bags. If you want to see those, and if you do want, if you do have an idea that you want to reach out about, and you haven't been able to to get that bag made and you just have it like in your head um, we can always talk about it and figure it out and you can message me there and i can take care of that and what do you want to bring attention to what do you um, i have two things two books that i want to bring attention to actually very cool um, one for just one that i personally enjoyed and then one that i have um, professionally enjoyed okay um, personally is the starship and the canoe 
I know it's probably backwards in your on your screen. No, it's but, perfect on my screen. Okay, perfect. Um, Starship in the Canoe. Um, it's a yeah by Kenneth Bauer or Brower. Sorry, <laughs> Kenneth Brower. Perfect. Listexia. Um, <laughs> but it's actually a true story, which is really cool. Uh, it's about um, George and Freeman Dyson. Um, and, okay. and Freeman Dyson was trying to be in the space race early on in it. And Freeman lives in a, or a George lives in a tree house in British Columbia. And like, he considers all of the British Columbian coastline, his like home, you know, mm-hmm. he's got his attic house up in the Northern part, you know, main, main section, the basement, all sorts of things like that. Um, and it's just kind of stories about both of them. And then both of them kind of coming back together because, George, who is in BC, builds this giant canoe. He calls it a canoe. It's basically a kayak, but it's like a seven man hole, 30, <laughs> 30 or 40 foot canoe that is meant to like seafare. Yeah. And, and the whole book is kind of the culmination of the father and son kind of rekindling and meeting and taking this big canoe out at, on its maiden, real, like real maiden voyage. Um, it's kind of nerdy but it's also outdoorsy, which is really cool. So it yeah. kind of hits realms that I enjoy. Excellent. The second one um, is the guide's guide augmented. Okay. Um, and if you've never heard of this, whether it be the guide's guide or like this one, the augmented one, it's just a, yeah, extra things put into it. Um, it says the guide's guide augmented reflections on guiding professional river trips. Um, and it's from, it's, it's Coleman. It's compiled by whitewater voyages. Um, which is a Western company I've never necessarily heard of. Um, but they have all sorts of different sections, um, classic, classic battle paddle boat talk, safety talks, um, tips and tricks, what to talk about on the raft. Really cool stuff. What games you can play. Um, all sorts of like, one of my favorite ones is learning the skin of your teeth. The sign language for it is just rubbing your fingers across like that. Um, and yeah, be, being able to, <laughs> is that good? <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's just another, you know, if you've never taken like a swift water course or you've yeah. never read a book that kind of has the, a how to be a guide, this mm-hmm. is a really good book on how to be a guide. Um, okay. and some of the stuff, like personally, I'll flip through it. I'm like, well, duh, been there. Yup. Of course. And then I get to a spot. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. Makes sense. Like there's some really cool games that can be played, whether it be, and, and some, some trips you don't get to like on the Nantahala, I don't get to run, I don't get to play games, but on the Menominee, you could play all sorts of games. Oh yeah. Um, you got about an hour and a half of games. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it, it can help in a lot of different aspects. Um, whether that be, you know, if you're looking to start an outdoor company, it can even help with that because there's a lot of liability information in here um, as well as, you know, just how to be a guide, but that is, the Guide's Guide Augmented by William McGinnis. Awesome. Awesome. Great suggestions. I'll tag those as well in the show notes so people can find them if they'd like to. All right. Awesome. Question two. What is your favorite outdoor activity and why? My favorite outdoor activity. That's such a crazy question. I actually don't have one that that really like pops out at me mm-hmm. just because any time outside is great anytime outside um but i would say that one of my favorite outdoor activities which will totally make you laugh 
is sitting around a fire with with some good company. Like Could I love be more perfect. I'm but like I'm kind of lazy. Like I like to just sit there and enjoy conversation and like as much as I love the sunshine and and I love all those things so much and almost in line with that. But sitting around a fire is just so cozy and and company is so cozy, just making me cozy thinking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I have a slightly different answer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, I would say being on a duck trip actually okay um I I don't know what it is what seriously one of my favorite things is being on duck trips whether it whether I hope Tanner does yeah (laughs) don't we're not sharing this with my bosses But but the reason for that is that's because I don't make a lot of time outside of work to go on the river that's Mm -hmm. my me time on the water you know whether i'm literally whether i'm leading the trip or sweeping the trip as long as i'm not in the middle as long as i'm leading or sweeping i i'm by myself i don't have to talk to anybody i can just enjoy the water i can enjoy the river i can enjoy the mountains and the nature and everything and i can notice that i don't get to notice when i have to talk for two hours yeah that is so funny because if that was like a personality like character trait thing how we like are completely different that's exactly what it is yeah like he's the anti-social i'm like people we're not all in the industry we're not all extroverts but we're all paid Paid to be be extroverts (laughs) (laughs) that's so true that is so true. I talked to um, um, Natalie and Brittany uh, a couple episodes ago, and they were talking about how they were both pretty introverted before they started guiding. And it was mm-hmm. the push to sit and interact with people for a long time that uh, brought them out of that shell. So that's that's really interesting. You sit and interact in dead silence for long enough, and you'll figure out what to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great answers. Um, question number three is, what is your where is your favorite place that you've ever been outdoors? Kalalau Valley on Kauai, Hawaii. Ooh, that's um, a good spot. It is. I so I was, this is wild. I was reading a Nat Geo after I had gone yeah. and Nat Geo had rated the, the top 100 most beautiful places in the world. And I had just happened to sit down and pick it up and I started flipping through because I was curious if that was there. You know, it's in, they, there was no specific order, but it meets, it's in the top 100 for Nat Geo. Mind you, the Kalalau Trail is one of the five deadliest trails in the world. Okay. So risk versus reward, you're flowing on that trail. Yeah, I was going to say you're in the flow state at that point. Yeah. Um, But that's another thing. If anybody is interested in a really, really cool, almost pilgrimage, I would say, um, Mm -hmm. it's a really cool spot. And if you do, if anybody ever does get to go to Kalalau, try and find your way to the community garden because there is a really cool community garden there. It was like, when I went in, it was like being in Eden. I couldn't describe it any other way. I took my shoes off because I felt I couldn't wear them anymore. Wow. I I just had this, I had this impulse where I was like, I need to be barefoot. (laughs) And I just like took my shoes off and it was, I don't walk barefoot. I don't go barefoot anywhere. And I needed to take them off because, and I just felt way connected in the, in that place. It was wild. I know that sounds super hippie. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, my favorite place, I think I think that I realized how special my home was once I moved away from it and like actually mm-hmm. experienced other places. One of my favorite places ever is Sleeping Bear Dunes in kind of like the Glen Arbor, Michigan area, which is yeah. National Lakeshore. If you've never been there before, 
I highly recommend going there. Um, it is a long drive, but it is absolutely worth it. It just feels like it's out of this world. And I was kind of like partially raised up there. Like I spent a lot of my summers there. It reminds me of my roots. Lots of Dutch people. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Um, <laughs> so it just like really brings me back. Like every, t- every time I get to go there, it's so special. Now Garrett's actually never been there. Um, so it's just like one of those spots. Same. I've actually never been to Kalalau. So we're both kind of waiting to take each other to those really special, special spots. Places. Maybe that'll be like a honeymoon idea. We never went on a honeymoon, so <laughs> we'll just do that. You guys are on a continuous honeymoon, it seems. And that's what we tell yeah. people. Yeah. Like it, the day before. After or before we got married. I think it was the day before we went, we got married. I took two people rafting or two couples rafting morning and afternoon. And they, both were, newlyweds. they were both on their honeymoon. Wow. And we were like. Man, we're on a constant honeymoon. It's stupid to spend any money on a honeymoon <laughs> right. for us because yeah, right. we're already on a moon type situation. Totally, totally. Sleeping Bear Dunes is uh, one of the first outdoor memories I have. My dad and I went on this uh, two week trip up around uh, Lake Michigan, and we stopped at Sleeping Bear Dunes. And I can just pick out these tiny little memories uh, of being there when I was almost five years old. So that is a beautiful spot. Do you, did you sprint or fall down the dune? Oh, double whammy. <laughs> Tried to sprint, ended up I totally, like roll ass over time. tin cuffs. Yep. That was me. <laughs> uh, question four is kind of tough. Um, what is something that you see today as a blessing that in the moment you might've saw as a mistake? Oh, you've got a good one for this one. Um, I'll, I'll go first because you, you went first last time and you weren't supposed to. Um, <laughs> so I think that when I had initially moved to Wildman, I definitely had a couple of times where I was like, I'm chasing the guy. Like, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> obviously, just because when you follow someone into the outdoor industry, mm-hmm. I definitely felt like I was always Garrett's girlfriend. I was never just Shelby. Yeah. And so that was really hard on me. So in the moment, I was probably like, man, this is, feels like a mistake. And and obviously, we've actually broke up before the end of that season. And broke up twice. Um, and you make a lot of choices. And I feel like Wildman was one of those things where I was like in it and I'm like, dang, this just doesn't feel right. And then it was like one of the greatest lessons and one of the greatest atmospheres for me to make mistakes and learn. And it was my first time out of the house. So I'm like Mm -hmm. figuring out who I was. And it was just like one of the greatest mistake decision, happy things that ended up happening. And for me, um, Dan, you know this one, actually. Um, and I'll just kind of allude to it partially because I don't want to uh, go in depth, tell the whole story. Um, but, you know, while at Wildman, I made some choices off the clock, which this is something that when you're in the outdoor industry, you don't necessarily realize. And it's something that you sh- really need to realize. And this is something that I like to stress to my new guides, too, is that what you do off the clock can affect affect your job your job on the clock because right. you are on, representing yourself yeah, you are representing the company if you're on that company's you know if you, property yeah if you're on the yeah. company's property i guess is a really good way to put it um so and you so, acted like a goofball yeah, you, you you act like an idiot you you play stupid games you win stupid prizes <laughs> right. and i've only been fired from one job in my entire life and that was from wildman adventures mm-hmm. um and I think that if that hadn't happened, I kind of talked touched on it a little bit earlier is if that, if that hadn't happened, I would have never, like I, I lost the best job I ever had 
I'd never had that much fun doing something. I'm like, right. <laughs> I blew it. I blew it. I don't get yeah. to do this anymore. Yeah. And then coming into NOC with a fresh start, with a fresh start and, and a clear mind and realizing that, you know, I, d- I don't have to go over the biggest rapid sideways <laughs> goofing off to the camera and giving them the trip that they want. And you're like, well, the company doesn't really want you. Was it, was it really the trip they wanted? And, and yeah, so it's, yeah, it's just being able to look back in hindsight and say, you know, I'm knowing when to be professional and when you can choose not to be professional. And, and our boss kind of puts it in a similar sense of, um, know when to have porch talk. Yes. You know, you don't, you don't talk with your buddies like you're on the porch when you're at work um, or when you're near a guest or anything like that. Which is really hard when you work and live and do everything with the same people. Right. It's really hard to have a filter at work. Yeah. But just, just remembering that it echoes, it echoes back when you, when you live where you work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important to remember. Great answers. Great answers. Uh, before I go into question number five, I just want to acknowledge the two of you for the uh, amounts of growth that I've seen you guys uh, take on in these last three and a half years since I last saw you. And uh, the way that you've taken uh, the world and molded it pretty much to what you guys want to be doing. You guys, I every time I see you in pictures and um, we haven't talked for three and a half years, but I just see the happiness in your guys' face and you guys radiate a lot of joy and uh, the people that are around you love being around you. So I, I just want to acknowledge you for those things and, and tell you guys, I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We love you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. That's the best part about these conversations. Um, question number five, when it's all said and done, when you are gone and all we have to discuss is your legacy as we are sitting around one of uh, Shelby's favorite the campfire. What do you hope we're saying about you? <laughs> I will go first on that you one. You go first. Um, this is something that uh, I have to actively think about sometimes. Yeah. Um, but Shelby looked at me last year, I believe. Well, would have been two, two, years, years, two ago years, now. years ago now. When I was just starting to really start to teach people mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of teach them how to be guides, why, you know, why they should be in the outdoor industry and things like that. And I wasn't being a good, I wasn't, I wasn't being a good teacher. I was being very kind of, I would say mean for lack of a better word. I was very short. Um, it I was just, super mean. I did not have the patience. <laughs> I had people coming to me like, why is he so mean? I looked, I looked at a kid on the bus and I said, he was talking when I was talking and I said, my, my time is valuable. You're going to stop talking while I'm talking. Something like that. Something My like that. time is more valuable than yours. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I was, oh, you said that to someone? And it was their first day. Oh, poor baby. That was so okay. straight. Le- legacy, legacy. <laughs> and, and so Shelby looked at me one day and was like, look, you don't have this patience with these people, but if somebody hadn't had that patience with you, you would never be where you are right now. You wouldn't be in the whitewater industry. And I think back and we were talking about it, about Francis Wagner. I think back and I'm like, he's the guy who had the patience for me. Mm-hmm. If I, if be that guy, yeah, be, be the Francis Wagner of, of your life, I guess. Right. <laughs> for lack of a better right. way to put it, be the, be the guy who, who wants to, to see that person grow and, and doesn't do, doesn't help because they have to help. They help because they want to help and they want to see you do better. Um, that's, I mean, that's the person that I want to be, I guess. Yeah. And I would hope that that's how people talk about me is that 
I was able to inspire them in some way. And maybe, maybe two seasons ago, won't say that, but maybe five seasons from now. will. and if I can, if I can have somebody say that eventually, that's all that really matters to me, I guess. People won't remember what Garrett looks like though, because people true. have to reintroduce themselves to him every single time he sees a new person or the same person again, because they're like, every time he's got like a new hairstyle. I was going to say, he's he a man black. of many looks, beards, yeah. the hair is super flowy right now. First time I had a friend meet him and saw me with him three different times and thought I was dating three different guys. Yeah. Wow. I was like, dude, I was just. Him. I don't know what to tell you. It was like no hat, no glasses, hat, no glasses, <laughs> glasses. And maybe he's like, who's this? <laughs> I would like people to remember me as the person that hugged them when they needed it, laughed with them when they wanted to laugh, and cried when they wanted to cry. And I'm going to stop there before I start crying. I'm going to put one <laughs> extra in there. I want people to know that I was real, at least to some extent. I may not always share what I, what I think and, but I want, I want it to be that when I do say it, that they realize that I mean what I said and I, and they take that to heart, at least to some extent. Excellent guys. Well, I appreciate your time. I had so much fun with you guys tonight. It was so good to see your beautiful, beautiful faces. And uh, we should make this a, a reoccurring thing where we, we talk once in a while. That would be nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy your night. Thank you. It was good talking to you, Dan. And that is that for this episode of Camping Out. I hope you campers enjoyed listening to Garrett and Shelby share their own personal stories about why working on the river has become such an amazing anchor to living a fulfilling life together. It's pretty fun to hear them talk about coming together as a couple in a dirtbag world as well. What really stuck with me was listening to Garrett and Shelby talk about their creative endeavors. Finding a creative outlet, especially in a world that's as connected and sometimes as emotionally fraught as ours is recently, can be such a great way to find perspective and maybe just even a smile when you're feeling sad. As always, my friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody close to you, whether it's in a text or on your social media accounts. And if you really enjoyed it, why don't you slide on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We'll be back in your feeds next week. But remember, adventure comes to those who go.